you know, I use as my overarching passages, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Right? What does God expect of us? What is the Christian life? Right? To live for him and and to get the ability to do that, grow in our understanding of him. Because he said the word, right, as we grow and come to know him, right, will enable us and empower us, right, to know him and to live for him and, and become more Christ-like. Amen. But as I'm going into talking about knowing God, and the reason I, I shared this, this whole series about, you know, us getting to know God is because it's really been a burden on me and also someone that early in his Christian life fell into the charismatic movement and, you know, was deceived into believing a lot of the, the completely erroneous and heretical doctrines that they teach. That was because of an ignorance I had because, one, I stopped taking everything to Scripture and searching everything out, and I just trust it naively, and I think a lot of us do at times, especially early in our Christian walk, other people that were that were Christians already, they've been Christians before me, at least called themselves Christians, and they'd sing Christian songs, and they said, hey, who, who am I to question that? I don't know if any of us have ever been there, maybe it's just been me. But I do remember where the Lord first started working, I mean, when he first came into my life, when he first opened my eyes and saved me, I just, I read the he did it through reading the word, but then I kept on reading the word. Of course, it's a good thing, right? There's reason for everything that happens. There's a good reason that he left me in jail for a while after I was saved. If many of you who know me and heard my testimony, you know he saved me while I was in a jail in Grand Forks, North Dakota. But I read his word, and I didn't understand everything. But I read it and read it. And I remember when I first walked in first started partaking and, you know, participating in the Word of Faith movement, I heard them use and twist a lot of Scripture passages. I didn't realize they were twisting, but I remember the first thing was, I got this, I call it now a Holy Spirit check. Are yellow flags or red flags? At least then yellow flag because I was, you know, real young in the faith, but, you know, things like, that isn't, I don't think that's what that, means, or that's not the way I understood that. The scripture I had been reading and I had read, but I just chucked up as well, I mean, who am I? I? I guess I'm the one who's misunderstanding. And I fought that over and over for several years until actually, you know, <laughs> it, it's funny, actually through a lot of tribulation, God bought me and my wife both to heavily question a lot of what Word of Faith teaching was, and eventually he recovered me from it and bought me out of it by bringing me back to this Word. I could show this. I sat down over a several-day period, and pretty much every moment I was awake, I read through the Word of God again. And it was just like, I, I, it was like deliverance from all these false teachings. You know, it's not that, you know, we're never going to become perfect in that, but that's what he was, right? We got questions about it. We got doubts about things. Bring it to the Word of God. You know, prayerfully through the Word of God. Amen. Uh, with that, because we've been, uh, you know, talking 
last week about if God, since God is sovereign over all his creation, then that does mean all his creation. So whether you want to call it, uh, you know, as we talked about in some verses, right? You know, I, I create light. I create, you know, evil, right? I do all these things. And that creates the same creation you see in Genesis 1. It means he's responsible. We look at that one in, in uh, Genesis. We saw that good example of God meant it for good. He weaved all those things together to bring about his predetermined decree that had happened before the foundation of the world. Though, even though he used secondary agents, right, he is not to be blamed for evil. He's not guilty of evil. He's not evil. The men were, the men's actions were, but he used them for good. But remember, we got another, the Bible teaches us, he did not react. Like when we talked about in Genesis, he did not react to Joseph's brother's, you know, movements. Like when they planned to kill him and threw him into a pit. God didn't then go, ooh, ooh, I'm, now I'm going to use this for my chance to, you know, bring him to Egypt. No, that was already working out God's before plan that he was going to put Joseph in Egypt long before that ever happened. You know, and then the traders that came along, the slave traders that came along that he sold them to, they didn't come upon by happenstance, right? That was all being worked out. But it wasn't God reacting to what they were doing. They were reacting and carrying out God's purpose. He was just using their desires, their evil desires to do so. But he meant it for good. They were carrying out his purpose. And in these things, their choices they made are real choices. Right? We're accountable for every choice we make. Right? Be it good or bad. Right? Every every word we say, every action we take, says we bought into judgment. Now, of course, right, we know we've been justified in Christ and we are forgiven our sins and won't be condemned. You know, we're still accountable, but the evil men do, they're still accountable for, even though, right, it's all part of God's purpose. All part of his decree. Right? You know, we see about that, it's not just in certain circumstances. You know, we read a lot of things in many places of the Bible, many examples. We see the, the whole example, if you think of, if you think of Joseph and everything around that, not only when you, when you think of the decree of God, hundreds of years before that, right, he told Abraham his people would be, come down to Egypt. And then they'd be enslaved in Egypt. He told them how many years they'd be in Egypt. Now, when they first came down, they weren't enslaved. What? God just, you know, some people try to explain it, right? Well, he just sees what, what's going to happen. And then he reacts. Well, is that a proper understanding of the sovereignty of God? Or is that heretical teaching? That's heretical teaching because that means man controls God. Ultimately, right, either man's in control, the creature's in control, or something else besides God is in control, or else God is in control. There can be no, no in-betweens about that. Either he is or he isn't. And we know that he is because Scripture plainly says that he is. 
how he works out his perfect will, his perfect purposes in all things. We're seeing many times he does it, but we're not told, you know, how, how that works out. You know, and a lot of times, why not? You know, we see in some examples, he, some things happen because of judgment. We see in the examples of Job, and even of Joseph, Joseph had done, has, had done nothing. But look at the trials and tribulations he was brought through. Job, we're told three times by God in the first two chapters that he was an upright, he was an upright man who hated evil and loved righteousness, yet these things happen upon him. And the only, the only explanation we're given in, is in James, which says, we see, we see the story, the patience of Job, and we see how God is merciful. But when you first think of what, you know, happened to Job, and we're, we're told that, that God, right, God eventually, right, put that upon Job, right? He used secondary agents, you know, nature, the fire from heaven, burning, burning up the, the, the one crew, right? Satan inciting, he bought the Sabians and the Chaldeans in to destroy, you know, to, to take all, all his livestock and murder all his servants, except one in each instance. We see all, all these things transpiring. But, and we can understand, we're not, we're not told why. You know, except we're seen in the end, Job comes to a better understanding and a humble submission. God, I now understand you're in control of everything and there's things that are beyond my comprehension. You know, I repent. And if you read through that, you understand he's repenting of, you know, he kept demanding of God. And then, he, remember, and he's, a lot of things he spoke and his friends spoke, they spoke without knowledge, without understanding. They just thought they knew everything. You know, when something happens, well, it must be because of this. The only thing we know for sure from Scripture, God's in control, and there is a purpose for everything that happens. Everything that happens. And most of the time, we're not shown in Scripture why. We, can't, we can only surmise sometimes in history why certain things happen, in our own lives, why certain things happen, or why certain things happen to people we know. We can assume many things about it, but mainly a lot of times assuming it's wrong. I, uh, I say all of that to say this, isn't it better that we just accept and submit to the absolute sovereignty and authority of God over his creation? And just as Job said, should we not receive good? from the Lord? She would receive good from the Lord and not evil. In all this, Job sinned not. Right? So what he spoke of God there was true. He understood that in the end, right, God had given him everything he had. Now God had taken away what he did. And he had his sovereign, he had his sovereign purposes, just as he does in everything. And just like I mentioned, we talked about in 1 Peter I'm laying all this to give, give us a reminder. Remember in 1 Peter we're told, not that it's every one of our lots to suffer, but it may be, and at times we do. But he says, if and when that time comes and we suffer, 
from being a Christian. Let us commit, our, commit the keeping of our souls unto our faithful creator. In other words, we can trust him, right? Because all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things. And the only way that verse is true and that promise is true is if God is in control of every single thing or else that promise can't, can't always work out. Amen. Anyone have any questions or comments? Okay. I want to share one other thing before we get into it. You know, I, I say all that to say this. Shar shared an interesting story with me last night when she came home from work. Uh, or was it, yeah, y- yesterday when you came home from work, uh, Fridays she takes her client to a place called the Dream Center for kind of some fellowshipping. She likes going there and having a meal. And uh, these people, was it the fellowship center or somewhere else? It's one lady comes up to her and starts telling her, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. And then starts telling her all these things about God. And Jesus Christ. And then she'd say something, and then Shar would reply, But the Bible says this. She said that happened several times. She said there was someone else she noticed over there who was just kind of <clears throat> sickering in that. Here's this lady, right, who is walking in her own understanding, saying all these things about Christianity, about the nature of God, about the person of Jesus Christ, that were wrong. And she said it so happily and joyfully. And then she hit, oh, now she's going to the powwow when it comes up, she wanted to say. That gives you an idea, but so many people professing Christians, that's where they're at now. Our, our ideas, I'm speaking of generally, the visible church as a whole, of Christianity today, right, is just kind of a patchwork throwing in of books they've read, Put up by, you know, as as uh, James calls them, put up by teachers who are completely ignorant and, you know, vainly and proudly assert things they do not know or understand. They get their knowledge from, uh, you know, open up one scripture and just say it, and ten different people derive ten different meanings from that when there can only be one. It may work itself out in different ways, but scripture, right, the intent is what did the author mean? What is the author saying? Not, he doesn't, you know, if, if, if I read a verse, it doesn't mean something different to me and something different to Shar and something different to Bev, right, and something different to you, Dean, right? It means exactly what God meant it to mean. It means the same to everybody. And that's a big problem, in the church today, knowledge comes from our imaginations, and most people don't even realize it. <clears throat> With that, you know, I want to say one other thing before we go into these. I have mentioned that God is in charge, even the evil. And that evil, I'll say you call calamities and that, but natural evil, you know, think hurricanes, you know, bad storms, pestilence, you know, starvation, you know, things that affect us on a physical level, be it, you know, weather and, and germs and, and things like that. He's in control of that. I guarantee he was, he was in control of this whole COVID thing, just as he was in control of the influenza epidemic over a hundred years ago. 
by the way, which killed 10 times as many people, and they're all young. But anyway, uh, I want us to understand he's in control, but even though when I look at these things, we can't have an understanding, and we, I don't think most of us have, you know, a problem with that, okay, I understand that he, you know, he, uh, sends evil for judgment and evil for correction and evil things and tribulations upon his people for chastisement. Okay, I get that, but what about the evil men do? That I would, you know, like people will say, well, someone, someone goes up and shoots somebody. You know, just like recently we had someone open fire and killed a police officer in Fargo. Well, why'd that happen? He was a good guy. And evil happened to him. I'll tell you, that wasn't God's control. And by the way, how are we to know what God's purposes may or may not have been in that? What were and are in that? Right? But it holds to the same thing as we saw, just as Joseph's brothers had evil desires and evil thoughts, and they had no idea, but God used that evil to carry out his purposes, just like he uses all evil acts. Just as I mentioned in there, when we look at the way Pharaoh, right, God hardened his heart, then we read that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, right? But to let the people go, think of all the evil Pharaoh inflicted upon the people of God and the Egyptians did. But in the end, it was God, God using that evil, and then he brought judgment upon them. But just every act that happens is a purpose for every one of it. But God is not the author of evil, right? He's not to be... You know, he's, he's not condemned out of it. He's incapable of committing evil, right? But he uses that evil, and evil exists because he decrees it to be so. We just can't answer why, right? We can't answer why. There's a deep question. No one's been able to answer why. No true theologian who's looked through this throughout the centuries has finally had to admit, right, there's things about God, especially in this question that we just cannot fully comprehend. And that's in every matter when we take it all the way out, but especially this one. Jonathan Edwards tried to deal with it, Martin Luther, John Calvin, you know, recently R.C. Sproul, I just watched a deal of his. Uh, 45, for 45 years, he looked into this over and over again, and in the beginning he had to admit, I cannot fully understand this. And right before he died, he was talking about it again. He said, I cannot fully understand this, and no one can. But we know he's in control, and that's the main thing we have to look at. But he's not to be blamed for evil. He just uses people's evil purposes. But we have to understand, either man is in control or some other force besides God is moving things, or God is. And we know Scripture says God is, so we have to accept that's everything. With that... We looked a lot at the Old Testament and saw that those things were true. It's the same in the New Testament. Well, if you could turn to the book of John. John chapter 9. <clears throat> Give everyone a minute to get there. This is not my favorite chapters. It just, when we talk about this subject, about God being in control, and, you know, same people get this idea like God's like this benign, friendly old man sitting in a rocking chair. You know, he's just nothing but love, right? So in the end, right, you just say, but God loves you. He has a great plan for your life. Nothing's going to happen. 
doesn't exactly send the fear of God, right? The fear of God must come first, a fear of God. <clears throat> but we need to understand something, too, that God is loving, gracious, kind, right? Willing to pardon, but he is also holy, righteous, pure, true, eternal, self-existent, and almighty. But I think he is holy, and he will exercise justice. He delights in doing so. He just many times withholds it until the time comes. Believe me, we can all be happy about that, amen, in many circumstances. But John chapter 9, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which is blind from his birth. I want you to keep that in mind. He's blind from his birth. So from the moment he was born, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? <laughs> Just think of that statement for a minute. First of all, the child was born blind. <laughs> so what sin did actually, what, what sin did he commit while he was in the womb? You know what? What deception was he up to? I mean, I'm just thinking, it's, it's amazing. It gives an idea, if you read through the book of Job, how many erroneous statements are made in there about God. In the, verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, which I would say would be rather obvious, you know, nor his parents. And remember, this belief was, just like in Job's time, if you read it, they were convinced everything was healed. All his friends were convinced. They kept telling him, will you stop justifying yourself? Admit to your sin. But we know his troubles, his tribulations, his anguish, the evil that had come upon him was not because of sin. We're never told why. But it wasn't because of sin. Right? But it was a belief here, just like then in Joe's time, right? That if your child, something happened to your child or something happened to you, is always because of some sin in your life. Nor his parents, but, and it says, I know Mike's favorite word there, right? The Bible, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now, I got to admit, I got to admit, it was for several years. I mean, I, you know, I knew this story and everything around it, and it never deeply impressed me until it was several years ago, the first time I really dealt with this. And you had to stop and think about that for a minute. You know, this God that, you know, some people, now they bought upon that, oh, he never, he, he you know, he, he's never going to bring suffering upon somebody, right? He's never going to bring calamity upon somebody or anything, right? He's, he's just love and roses and lollipops all the time. Well, he, he caused this man to be born blind. So when Jesus came walking upon the earth, when God the Son came as a man, he would come upon him, heal him, and God would be glorified. <laughs> because remember, I said that one thing, the ultimate goal of God, and we're told that in Revelation, what, why is creation, why did he create everything, right? For his purpose, for his pleasure, he created them and they were created. And we know that the God of all, all the earth always does what is right. But in a way we can't understand, we are created God has always been, 
and always will be. He's eternal. He's self-existing. He's nothing else somebody himself. The Godhead, God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They needed nothing. They've always had perfect unity between one another. Perfect love. Perfection beyond what we can imagine. And yet he created creation for his purpose and pleasure. And he'd be glorified through it, through it all. Display his glory. Amen. In mercy, in acts of mercy and loving kindness, and in acts of judgment. But that's just an amazing thing. Now we're not told... We're, we're not exactly told, right, just what became of this man. I mean, you know, not yet, you know, eventually in his life, but someone tells me he forgot, he, he at least at that moment, I, I, I believe he was saved, but it, he uh, probably forgot all about that God had, you know, caused him, right, a, a young man for years to remain blind for the sole purpose of being Jesus being glorified through healing him. That's a, if we sit think of that for a little bit, that's not exactly the God that's represented in the Evangelifish movement today. Amen? Uh, let's go somewhere else, and this one we know very well, but go to Acts chapter 2, right? The first sermon. Acts chapter 2. And... A good idea, sometimes when we say, how should we share the gospel? Or, let's just try to keep maybe the main points of the sermons they, they preached in the, in the beginning, amen? But in Acts chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 23, speaking, Peter, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, him being delivered by the determinate counsel of, and foreknowledge of God, right? By the predetermined, right? Predisposition of God, the decree of God, right? And we know, let's look up at 21, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. He, he created us and he chose us in, to be saved with the foundation of the world. So this is going to come, come to pass at that time, they'd already decreed it and counseled it. Think about that one. It's amazing. But 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So they're accountable, right? They took him, they crucified him, they slayed him. But according to whose determinate counsel? Right? Not theirs. It was decreed to happen. It was going to happen. Right? God was in charge of it all. Uh, go, to, go to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, verse 27. Now the second sermon. For of a truth... Against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod, leader of the Gentiles, I mean, <laughs> both Herod and Pontius Pilate, leaders of the Gentiles, with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, so not just the leaders, not the high priest, right, but the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever 
thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. So, again, right, and we got to get a hold of this, and we talk about it all the time, but God was not reacting to what they were doing to Jesus. They were doing to Jesus exactly what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had determined in the counsel of the Godhead before the foundation of the world to come to pass. But they were all guilty for their evil deeds, but God was not evil in what he did. He just used their own evil desires and passions. And we just don't understand how God right, is not to be held accountable for that, but he's in control of it all and uses it all. We just, the Bible doesn't make it clear on that. But he's not to be blamed because we know that God is good and righteous. But he is God. <clears throat> Anyone have any questions or comments? I mean, feel free. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and when you think of, I mean, think of everything. All the people in the crowds screaming, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" The high priest and the council condemning him. The leaders of the Gentiles wanting to let him go, but they didn't. Control all of that. People says, "Well, man chose." Well, yes, man chooses. We make willing choices that we are accountable. They have consequences, right? But God's in control. God's in control of it all. And in the end, we we say, "Well, that He commanded, and it was done." Right? We see it the predetermined, and we see when all the many. We want to look at some when all the many things just in the Bible we read. You think of all world history, do you really think everything happened by happenstance? <laughs> this COVID thing just happened? But he's in control of everything. And especially, right, the, as, as a lot of us theologians like call it the greatest crime in history, right? The murder of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they knew it was false accusations that they accused him of. They knew he had no, there was no reason to put him to death. <laughs> you just go ahead. Amen. Nope. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and like I said, we, we just 
we don't understand how God works it all out. And, you know, their evil intentions come up, but they still carry out God's plan. It's, it's an amazing. It's an amazing thing. You know, as Mike says, and we have it on the wall there, right? It's an amazing thing. But it is really, and it, it, the more and more, you know, I read Scripture, and especially when I think on these things, think deeply on the things of God, I am more and more amazed that more people don't find it amazing. That he even deals with me. That he has anything to do with me or any of us. It's amazing. If you please turn to Luke chapter 22. And we'll go to verse 31 of Luke 22. This is our Lord speaking to Peter. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. So, 32, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So, we, we see a first for truth. So, I'll read on, then we'll get into it. Verse 33, and he said unto him, Peter replying, and he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both in, into prison and to death. 34, I could almost see, you know, like me, I probably would have, I might have chuckled for saying this. You know, could you imagine if you just knew everything that was going to transpire? And he said, Jesus said to Peter, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day, before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. There Peter was, you know, he believed in his mind. There's no way, there's no way, you know, I'm going to stand with you. This is not going to happen to you, Lord. And then he said, you're going to deny me. You're going to be so scared. You're going to deny me three times. But he also knew that Peter would bear up under this sifting. That was by permission of God. But only permission, right? Part of his sovereign purpose and plan. Because look how he knew he was, was going to mightily use Peter. There's a lot just in that short thing when you think it all out. Because not only, a lot of times, right, Satan comes upon us, you look at that. And his intent was he wanted to destroy Job. He hates the people of God. He hates everything, and especially every person God loves. He hates them. He hates us. And he wanted to destroy Peter. But God used Satan, just like God used Satan, to rise up and tempt David to take that census, which God used to punish the Israelites, eventually for their ungodliness, and 70,000 died. But you see how everything's in God's control. You see, many times, you know, it's not this battle between Satan and God. Satan does nothing beyond God's permission, without God's permission. Nothing. And his power is the power of suggestion. But uh, <clears throat> he already knew he'd be converted, strengthen thy brethren, which he did. Which he did. And he, and he was going to use that just like God used the temptations and all the suffering that came upon Job. Job ended up being blessed, right? And his end was better than his beginning. And he came into a great understanding and appreciation, right, 
in the, the depths of the knowledge of God. Amen, through it all. So what Satan means for evil, God meant for good. <laughs> Amen. But if you, if you go ahead there, just uh, go drop down to verse 37. For I say unto you, that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. Everything that was going to happen to Jesus, right? It was written. It was decreed of God. It was purposed. Therefore, it will come to pass. All right, we see that. But just uh, move on there to verse 40. We kind of have our answer what we should always do, 40 through 42. And when he, Jesus, was at the place, right there at the Mount of Olives, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. That's what we talk about, it, right? The word of God, prayer, right? Fellowship, communion, always remembering, you know, Jesus Christ, remembering his perfect work being accomplished, right? That's what we all stand on. Those are the graces God gives us. But pray. And then 41, he's withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and knelt, kneeled down and prayed, this should be always our attitude in prayer, right? Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there's the overarching thing in all prayer and all our understanding. Lord, not my will, not my desire, because it's not about me. It's about God's will, God's purpose, God being glorified. Amen. Uh, I'm going to one other thing that we didn't get into. Uh, go to Book of Romans. We're running out of time here, but I want to leave us with some last uh, thoughts about these. But Romans chapter nine. <clears throat> oh, <laughs> okay. Romans chapter 9, and Paul is explaining, explaining some of God's dealings with man, right? And he's specifically getting into, you know, his work, you know, done, you know, with the people of Israel and, you know, trying to get them to, you know, understand better you know, God's righteousness. But here's, here's some, some great overarching truths here also, not just concerning predestination, right, concerning our salvation, but concerning all of life, right? For instance, we see there, you know, starting, starting in verse 9, we're told of the story, you know, of, Sarah, right? Isaac was a purpose of God, right? She became pregnant and had Isaac to fulfill God's purpose, right? And then we go on from there, and Rebecca, right? Isaac's wife, right, gave Jacob and a sow. He chose Jacob, but we're, we're, we're told he chose Jacob way back before they were ever born. Neither one of them had done anything. But a saw would fall and come under God's judgment, and the line would go through Jacob, and Jacob and his line would be blessed. Amen. 
And then 14, this is a great apologist Paul was, how mightily he was used, why he wrote and taught so much that God deemed for us in the church to help our understanding of God and help build that firm foundation under us. What shall we say then, verse 14, is there unrighteousness with God? And this is emphatic, the answer, it's, it's right, it's rhetorical, God forbid, Right? In no way, shape, whatsoever, God forbid, there is no unrighteousness with him. Right? He is, he is the personification of righteousness. Right? Much beyond our comprehension. Right? He is righteous. For instance, he cannot lie. It's not, he does, it's not that he chooses not to lie. He cannot lie because it's against his nature, because his nature is truth. Justice, righteousness, purity, right? That is his nature. That's who he is, and he's always been, right? Verse 15, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy, in other words, think about that. It doesn't matter what you desire. It doesn't matter what your goal is. It doesn't matter what you're shooting for. I'm going, you know, taking this beyond, and, you know, it does touch a lot of them that are just salvation. Though salvation is important, but God's ultimate purpose isn't just the salvation of man. It's his glorification in everything, right? It's of God that showeth mercy, Right? For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared through all the earth. So he didn't raise him up just to deliver Israel. In the end, the overarching thing was that he would be glorified in all the earth through the destruction of Pharaoh and his army for the evil they did. And he used supernaturally the Red Sea. He used nature in that, where we see, you know, the, I mean, creatures, you know, the locusts, the frogs, we, you know, we see him using, you know, we see him using, you know, weather as in hailstones, right? We see him using supernatural, but for the most part, he used secondary agents. Most of the time when he intervenes, when he works, the way he works in his creation is through his creation. 18, therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he will, he, what? Hardeneth. He hardens. Now, of course, we're told just like in Pharaoh, just like when, when if you go back to Exodus, starting in Exodus 4, God tells Abraham that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. Then we're told, you go on to Exodus 8, then we see Pharaoh hardening his own heart. Is because of his evil desires, God was using that and working through that to carry out something he had purpose from the very beginning of creation to do. Right? He's not to be blamed for that, but Pharaoh was doing exactly what he wanted to do. He just had no idea he was fulfilling God's purposes and when he was doing it. Yep. 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 Yep, and then verse 19, and you say we say it on here, and you'll hear it to this day because 
I mentioned last week, and we're going to remember something. If you haven't run across this yet, or if you haven't been assailed by the enemies of our soul with this question yet, it will be deal with, well, if God is so good and is in control of everything, then why do evil things happen? And what I mention is, you know, not just judgment upon someone who's apparently evil or a nation who's apparently evil, but upon someone as that book that someone wrote that's, that's just heretical. Why do good things happen? Why do evil things happen to good people? And they just fall on to basically trying to talk about just a bunch of nonsense. But here's that question, verse 19. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? In other words, when a man, if a man comes up and let's say kills somebody or assaults him or someone commits an evil act against another person, I'm talking on an individual level, why does God find fault? Right? If God is in control of everything, which he just said there, he's in control of everything, why does he still find fault with man? And here we're given basically the same answer, and we're going to look at that next time we come. You know, it'll be two weeks because next week uh, Dean's doing history. But I want you to think about this. Read Job and look how Job answered all his questions, starting in Job 38. Because in a sense, this is the way it all, right? Because here's what it is. Verse 20. Well, verse 19, right? Why does he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? Right? They're getting it. He's saying it's God's will and purpose. Right? He hardens who he hardens. He has mercy on who he wants to mercy. Have mercy, right? He predetermined everything that came to pass. Well, what then? Verse 20, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Or, Why am I sick, Lord? Why am I not more prosperous? Why don't I have a better position? You know, why does so-and-so seem to be doing so great. Even when they ask, why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? Why, 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 why? Go back to Job. Were you there when I created the foundations? Job, answer me. We're not told why. But we do know through Scripture there is, I mean, sometimes we're told why. You know, sin, everything else. But for the most part, we don't know why. But there's a purpose in God's plan for everything. Everything that happens. Because remember, even the things we do and say and everything affect others. We just never have any idea. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I want you to think something else. We look at 40 and it's so interesting that, but look at the end. God's turned to his friends and he said, you have not spoken right about me as my servant Job has. When you ask this question, go through Job, because we're going to eventually get into that. But sometimes on some books you read, they use stuff that Job's three friends said, or he said, and they said, now this is truth. Well, and it all can't be because they all said stuff that wasn't true about God. Because God just had found him guilty of it. And Job, unlike them, repented of it. It, it. There's a lot, you know, that's what I mean. You can never outgrow the word of God. There's no way you're going to come to a, a perfect understanding of the things of God. But he has given us what we need. If we just stay with that and still trying to invent 
invent things. But I just like that verse 431, and we'll close up with this. Have not the potter power over the clay? Of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another to dishonor. So who makes the person? Who causes the person to come to honor or dishonor? God. Right? What if God, verse 22, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted, prepared for destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Okay, I'll, I'll close with that, but I want you to think about that. What he's basically saying there is a huge truth, right? Not only in salvation, and amen, praise God, but in all of life. He's in absolute control. There's a purpose for everything, and he brings one up, and he puts another down. He saves one. He opens someone's eyes. He doesn't open up others, right? He brings prosperity to one and brings suffering in the life of another. But he's in control of everything. And as First Peter says, right, if, if or when things come upon us, we can have trust and rest in our faithful creator. Amen? Any last questions or comments? Good. Mike, would you please close us in a word of prayer? Amen.